0: Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast brought to you by Barclays. Hello and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. The January transfer window is open and it's a time when managers and chairmen can make or break a club's
1: season. January is a difficult market. You know, often you have to bide your time to get the right price for the right players. So it's a delicate situation. It's a difficult market, but we'll see what we can do.
0: Ole Gunnar Sogshah has the backing of Cardiff's team captain.
2: He wants to play attractive football and positive football, so I, for one, am buzzing that we arrived and that he's going to be taking the club forward.
3: And things are looking up at the Hawthorns under a new regime. It was a difficult time, you know, a lot of things happening in and around the club, but we managed to uh, focus on what we can do and put down good performances on the field.
0: We speak exclusively to West Brom defender Jonas Olsen, Stephen Caulker tells us why one of the world's greatest ever substitutes is the right man for Cardiff, Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parish explains the ins and outs of a frenetic January transfer window, plus we hear from Tim Sherwood, Sam Allardyce and Michael Laudrup, and we'll ask what a shock injury will mean for the league leaders. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Dave Farah and let's say hello to this week's guests. We've got the former Liverpool and Spurs defender John Scales and making his debut on the podcast the Sunday Mirrors sports columnist and indeed chairman of the Football Writers Association Andy Dunn. Now the Barclays Premier League has had a weekend off to make way for the FA Cup third round but we've still got a packed show with two current players and a chairman joining us but first just a bit of reaction to a couple of those uh, cup games with John and Andy. John you first of all Spurs your old club beaten 2-0 by Arsenal but of Course, uh, that's not really the headline news. The headline news is that Theo Walcott will be out now for at least six months with that knee injury, meaning he'll miss the rest of the season and terribly for him, the World Cup. uh, It's a big blow for
4: Arsenal and for England, too. It's a massive blow for Theo, first and foremost. You know, as a former player, you know, when you get yourself back from injury and you're back in the team and you have such an impact and play so well, and then suddenly to find yourself back on the sidelines. But with that sort of injury, it's, it's one of those injuries that's a real worry because, you know, it has longer term implications sometimes. You know, I'm sure he'll get back fully fit and rowing to go but you know he's a player with pace and you know relying on his pace you know so much and any injuries like that are, are a big concern but for Arsenal yes it's a it's a shattering blow you know they just needed the players back they've got Podolsky back they've got Giroud in there and and Theo to come in and and much needed you know they needed the strength in depth to have this maintain this challenge for the Barclays Premier League and it does beg the question of course what Arsene Wenger is going to do this January now.
0: Yeah Andy one of the mantras of this division in November and December was that Arsene Wenger is going to need to sign a striker in January. Now that is more true than ever, isn't it? It is, and the irony was that in the
5: post-match press conference after Saturday's game, when Arsene Wenger actually didn't anticipate the severity of this injury, he suggested it might be a stretched ligament or maybe just a kick. The irony was that Wenger was actually finally convinced, and he's taken some convincing, that Theo Walcott could actually play in that central role. A lot of us have thought that actually Theo Walcott could play in that role, but the person who needed most convincing was Arsene Wenger. He he said it was his best game. He said he was more aggressive, he timed his runs better. You could see Veng actually thinking, actually, he might just have saved me having to go out there and find a new central striker. That's why it's a bigger blow for Arsenal than some people realise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the saddest things about Saturday was to hear Ian Wright passionately defending Mm. Walcott as this central striker, and then hours later to find out just how bad things were. Manchester United as well, John Beaton at home for the first time ever by Swansea in the Cup, and talk of crisis maybe seemed
4: premature, but doesn't now. No, I mean, it is a season of crisis for Manchester United. There's no doubt about it, and it's not just the fact that they were beaten by Swansea. I mean, that's the second time in 29 years that they've lost in the third round. You know, that's bad enough. But coming off the back of four other defeats at home, where do you go from here? Clubs are going to Old Trafford now and believing they can win, and that's unheralded in the last twenty odd years.
0: And Andy, just to emphasise to our global audience yeah. on this show, it is the only story in town yeah. for people like yourself and, and all of your colleagues in the in the print media. Well, leader.
5: absolutely, it's a huge story for for journalists all around the country, mainly because we we've never known anything else. A lot of this media generation, I've known only virtually unbroken Manchester United success, and of course, I've, I've only known Sir Alex Ferguson because he was there for so long. I think we all anticipated to be a a period of transition, never something this dramatic. So it's fascinating, and you're right, it's the only story because it is arguably the world's biggest club, isn't going to win the Barclays Premier League this season, is out of the FA Cup. It's fascinating.
0: And before we move on, I guess appropriately as well, given what happened in 1968, we must pay tribute to the Portuguese football legend Eusebio, who died aged 71 at the weekend, widely considered one of the game's greatest ever players, 733 goals in 745 Professional matches, it's an overused word, legend and great
4: and all of that, John. But this was a player. That record speaks for itself, to score that many goals in so many games and be pivotal in, in so much success for Benfica. I've been out to the museum at Benfica, I've seen the statue outside you know, the stadium and I know a lot about the history of Benfica and Eusebio is central to everything phenomenal about the European triumphs. He's just been a phenomenal player and set the benchmark for Portuguese football. For all others to follow Ronaldo, but so many people have because he was such a legend of the game. And when you consider, we
0: talk a lot about the spirit of football on this show, Andy, Mm. one of the great stories and great images, actually, Alex Stepney made that extraordinary save from Eusebio, the Manchester United Mm. keeper at the time, in in the 68 final, and Eusebio congratulated him. He did just congratulate me. He actually stood there and made sure everyone could see he was great. He applauded him, you know,
5: which is a, a, a wonderful gesture. And, you know, also that sportsmanship and what he stood for was taken to the heart of English and British football fans in 68. You know, I mean, I'm I'm from Merseyside and and Eusebio's exploits at Goodison Park. He still has a special place in that generation of football fans on Merseyside.
0: Yeah, wonderful player and he will be uh, much, much missed. Uh, Remember, you can get in touch with us on any of the above subjects if you want to pay tribute yourself to Eusebio on Barclays Football's Facebook page or by getting in touch with at Barclays Footy on Twitter using the hashtag YouAreFootball. Now, with that goal record, uh, extraordinarily nearly a goal a game. Who knows how much Eusebio might have cost in transfer fees in today's terms. And the January transfer window is what we're moving on to now. It opened on New Year's Day and will close, doubtless frenetically, at 11 pm on Friday, the 31st of January. Last year, 58 players were brought into the Barclays Premier League during January but you just wonder, is there value to be had? Um, Stuart Robson said on last week's podcast, Andy, that January is better for improving your squad rather than your team. Can you really make or break your season in January, do you think? I think you can in the bottom half of the table, maybe not in the
5: top. Last season was a prime example. I think when Newcastle were in a situation where they had to do something in January to stay in the Barclays Premier League, they signed not one or two, they signed three or four players. Now I remember going to a game, I think it was against Chelsea, when Sissoko, one of the new signings, scored a couple of goals. And that sort of game than the impetus um, to basically move up the league in the second half of the season I do believe that it's
0: teams actually who are in a relegation struggle that can save their season. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that, isn't it? Because the two great examples, Coutinho and Sturridge, both went to Liverpool in, in January in 2013, didn't really yeah. flourish until until this season. I, I, and the same with
5: when Luis Suarez went there in 2011. And it was actually Luis Suarez and, and Andy Carroll. And, of course, Torres then had gone to um, Chelsea in that window. They didn't have the, the immediate impact. You know, Suarez's impact came in his first full season with Liverpool and, of course, now in his second full season that he started.
0: John, what's it like to be a player in that generation? January transfer window. In. Is, is it unsettling at
4: all? I don't think it's unsettling. You know, players get on with it. Because it depends how well you're playing. It depends <laughs> how well you're playing. And, you know, a lot of players who are on the fringes and not involved in the team will be looking to move on. Clearly, they're, you know, the agents involved in the game will be looking for deals and they'll be touting players around. But the players that are playing in the team, that they're pretty settled. I look back on Spurs the last couple of windows and think, you know, they've missed out on Champions League football and should they have gone in and got a striker in that January transfer window, I think it can make a difference for the, mm. for the teams at the top half. You know, if they bring in just one or two players to freshen things up. I think, you know, you talk about Manchester United, you talk about Spurs, you know, you talk about Arsenal. I think if you can get the right player, and that's the big if, they can make a substantial difference. We know down at the bottom of the table, clearly they've got to go in and strengthen the team, freshen things up, and it has worked in the past. You look at uh, Dugary with Birmingham, kept them up. So there are players, you know, contra is one that Real Madrid, that, you know, Manchester United are talking about. Somebody like Manchester United have got to go in and, and maybe spend the, the 25000000 million. They're talking up the price, they're saying he's not available but somebody like United, they've got to go into the market and make a statement, I think, for the confidence of the team these players can have an impact if you can make them available. Andy, one of the issues at this time of year is always, people
0: are asked what kind of player does a certain team need, a centre-half, centre-midfielder, yeah, yeah. but it's where they are isn't it? It's one thing saying we need a centre-midfielder we need a, a number 10, mm. we need a left-back yeah. with pace, but it's finding them, isn't it? I know it's the scouts' job, but it is not that easy at this time of year.
5: It's not that easy, I, and also, I understand, and we do it an awful lot, is, is analyse each team and say well they need strength here, there, and there but I, I, do, I do think that is also, it sounds very simplistic, but also, you know, you need a good players. West Ham at the moment have got defensive cover in 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 Roger Johnson. You know, but you look at that and you think, well, that's all it is really. Mm. You know, you're just signing cover. It's not going to make a big difference. And you're right, it's it's getting hold of those players. Now, for example what tends to happen in these windows is a player will be much touted and will be out there and they'll say, who's going to go and get him? And it's a question, someone like Diego Costa, for example, at let Go Madrid, which is the striker who could make a difference to one of the top teams, you know, could make a difference to you know an Arsenal, a, a Chelsea, but how easy is it to go and get these guys? It's not that easy. The clubs who are involved in the Champions League are not going to sell their best
0: players, it's as simple as that.
4: I'm, I'm amazed by the statistic there, 58 players. That's a staggering amount of players to come into the uh, Barclays Premier League yeah. last January.
0: We'll see what happens in the uh, in the coming January transfer window. A, a crucial time, of course, for Barclays Premier League chairman as they look to help their managers bolster their squads. And one man who, of course, will be in the middle of it all is the Crystal Palace chairman, Steve Parish. I'm delighted to say he joins us now. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hi, guys. How you doing? Yeah, really good, thank you. Uh, and before we talk about the transfer window, there'll be lots to say about that, I'm sure. Um, just a, a note on how pleased you must have been with uh, how things have gone since Tony Pulis's arrival. Three wins and a draw in eight Barclays Premier League games. Uh, it's, it's not gone back. Badly, has it?
1: No, I think we've you know we've gone back to what we do well and Tony's added a layer of organisation and discipline. I think everybody's focused and we've given ourselves a chance. So that's what we wanted to get to January, you know, in with a shout. I think we were full from bottom as we turned into the new year. We've just slipped down one place now, but obviously we're very hopeful that we can turn that into a, a finish still in the Premier League next year.
0: Now, your manager has said that he's looking to strengthen the squad. Does that match your own intentions during the January window?
1: Of course you always look for strength of your squad. Unless you're winning the league by 10 points, then, you know, you're trying to get better, aren't you? So, is a difficult market, though. You know, often you have to bide your time to get the right price for the right players, so you've got to balance, you know, the pressure that you're under with games coming thick and fast again soon. And not wanting to overpay in the market. So it's a delicate situation, it's a difficult market, but
4: we'll see what we can do. And Steve, is it a case of just looking at it sort of almost week by week at this stage of the season? Do you look further ahead? Do you look back on what happened in the summer and, and the changes that have been made? Is it literally you're just overviewing the club on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis and you can't look towards the summer and look beyond anything past January almost?
1: Yeah, I think it's you're trying to balance all of those things at once. Obviously, there has to be an element of long-term planning in everything you do. So, you know, in the summer, for example, you know, we didn't want to end up with lots of loans from abroad that would go back if we got relegated into the championship, because then what have we got in the championship? You know, it's no good starting in the championship with five, six full-time 1st teamers, and then you've got to try and build the rest of the side, because you're not going to perform in that league. You know, the very worst situation we want to be in is we go into the championship as a very, very good team, with a togetherness, with a methodology, with a way of playing, that can get us back very quickly. So by the same token, you want to put every effort into staying in this league and not getting relegated. So obviously you're trying to balance all of those things in every decision that you make.
5: Steve, um, Tony Poulis did admit that he made, or the club had made, attempts to get Wilfred Zahar back on loan at Palace. How close were you to actually getting that deal done?
1: Uh, we've made inquiries. I think that, that you know, Man United have got a point of view about what they want to do with Wilfrid, with their prerogative, because obviously he's their player. I don't think they're 100% sure that he's going out on loan. We've said that it's something we would be interested in if he was available and, and everything was right. But, you know, Manchester United is their player. And personally, I would like to see him stay there. You know, I think that he could help them right now. And we certainly don't want to precipitate in moving away. But if he does become available on loan, then obviously we would be interested.
0: Steve, I'm intrigued, as I'm sure many people are, fans like myself, from outside this process, as to how it works. I mean, does Tony Pulis quite simply come to you with a list of players that he wants and then you go out and try and get them? Is it as, is it as simplistic as that?
1: Well, in, in some ways, I think, you know, Football's changed slightly in that, you know, we've got an infrastructure at the club with a scouting system and a a sporting director. So it's as much Tony working with the sporting director as well on, on target. And then them all coming to me and saying, look, these are the options that we've got. These are the players that are available. We think this is this deal, that's that deal. You know, what do we think is doable? And really for me, it's looking at everything they want to do and making it fit with the budget, making it work putting some input into that and trying to get the best deals we can. So it's a, it's a real team effort. But obviously, the way it works in Britain right now, and I think it's right, is that, you know, we don't bring players to football clubs that the manager doesn't want or the manager doesn't feel can work with the system. So the manager has final say on what player he has, but there's a million different ways to find a player. You know, often clubs will sign players from suggestions from agents who aren't necessarily really qualified in the playing side of football at all. But, you know, anybody who's been involved with it knows there are thousands and thousands of players out there. It's knowing what ones are available as much as anything else is the
0: trick. And just finally a word if you would, Steve, about Ian Holloway. You must be delighted to see him back in management uh, with Millwall. That was announced uh, yesterday and I guess in retrospect... You know, he did a great thing, didn't he, for Palace?
1: Yeah, but I've always said that. I've never said anything different. And um, I still think it's a shame. You know, I do think that that, that there was every possibility that Ian could have turned it around as well. You know, he's a very, very good manager. Millwall have made a a very, very good decision for the situation that they're in. You know, in the last three seasons, he got promoted, playoff final, got promoted from the championship. So I think that might be a bit of a tall order for him from where Millwall are right now. But, you know, next season, I would think that he'll have them in good shape. And certainly, Ian, someone I'm sure will be speaking, hopefully, and if there's things that we can do to help him in the future, we always will because he's, uh, you know, he gave us a great day and, and he was fantastic while he was at the club.
0: It's great to know that relationship still continues. Uh, he also had a great relationship with the fans, didn't he? H- how important do you think they'll be, Steve? Just finally to the club's survival, uh, those wonderful Crystal Palace fans.
1: Yeah, fantastic, haven't they? And, and they've always been like that. I think that the atmosphere at the ground is definitely makes it difficult for other teams. I sometimes think fans don't realise how important that is, and certainly our home form, you know, will be very important if we if we've got a chance of staying up. So. It's been great to see a full stadium. I and mean, if there's one reason that you know we want to stay in this division, it's for the fans more than anything else. So we'll be working really hard this January to give ourselves a better chance to do that.
0: Steve, thank you very much indeed for your time. And of course, we wish you lots of luck for the rest of the season. Pleasure. Cheers, guys. Nice to talk to you. Nice to hear from uh, Steve Parrish there. It will be a rocky road, but it might be a fun journey as well if you're a Crystal Palace fan. Now, coming up, we'll be discussing, well, I guess, a- another journey in terms of a relegation scrap, because we'll be talking about the baby-faced assassin who's just become the Barclays Premier League's newest manager. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Dave Farrer. Welcome back. One chairman who's appointed a new manager in time for the January transfer window is Cardiff City's Vincent Tan. He installed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer last week and the former Manchester United striker couldn't have had a better start, really. His team came from behind to beat Newcastle in the FA Cup on Saturday. Thanks to late goals from two substitutes as well, so a, a really good influence from Sokchar. Quite apt, isn't it, really, that uh, on his managerial debut in, uh, in England that substitutes should score the goals, the, the great super sub himself, Sokchar.
4: Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he always had that reputation as being uh, you know, the greatest off the bench, and, of course, that was never better demonstrated than, of course, in 99 in that uh, famous European triumph. Uh, I was there in the uh, the new camp. It was a great, great night. But he's coming, and he's you need results. You know, as a manager, you've got to get that result, and the quicker you get that result, the better the the players are going to embrace his ideas and his philosophy. So, you know, to get that uh, important result, I think. Boys, all the players, they buy into his philosophy much more easily. He's a very sort of laid back. He's very bright and intelligent. He handled the media brilliantly afterwards. He looks like he's very well equipped. You know, a lot of question marks, you know, raised for the last two, three years. His name's been, you know, a lot of speculation and connections and linking with jobs in England. He's taken this opportunity, but uh, they can put themselves in a, in a good position because I think that squad of players will embrace Oleg Nick ideas, the training ground and, and the way that he wants to play. Nice attacking possession football. So things are looking good for them. Well, the new manager's been speaking about the possibility of bringing in new players during the transfer
3: window. I've had uh, chats with uh, Mehmet, yes, and I've had chats with uh, the scouting department here and the players that they've been scouting and looking at. So, of course, I had a list uh, of them, but that's not my priority now. I'm looking at uh, the the possibilities we can have and the options, of course, but the, the most important thing is for me to work with the ones I have because there's such a great bunch of lads. I've spoke to most of them. They all impressed me by their attitude and, you know, when you look at them, they, they can see they uh, they want to do well for themselves and for the club.
0: Well, that was Cardiff's new manager, Ole Gunnar-Salkshar. I'm delighted to say we're joined now by one of his players. Cardiff's team captain, Stephen Colker. joins us now. Uh, Stephen, uh, welcome to the show and a great start, wasn't it, in the FA Cup under your new manager?
2: Yeah, it was a fantastic start. I thought the boys on a really good performance and showed a lot of grit and determination. So it was fantastic to come away with a win and, you know, a good start.
0: He comes across as a really positive manager. His sort of opening news conference was very impressive from that point of view. What's he said to the players, Stephen, in his first few days at the club? Has he sort of lifted you?
2: Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed my time under Malky, of course. But, you know, with the new gaffer coming in, he's been very positive. From the first week, he told us he wants to get the ball down and play football. And, you know, he's really excited. And I think that sort of rubbed off on the players. And I think that showed on the performance on Saturday.
0: Yeah, because that was one of the interesting things about his initial news conference. He, he talked about the way he likes to play, didn't he? You know, he likes to pass the ball, likes to attack, likes to be positive, and, and you've already noticed that, have you?
2: I've only had one session under him, but from the way he speaks and the way he played himself, you know, he's going to be someone who wants to play attractive football and positive football. So, you know, I have for one, a buzz in that he's arrived and that he's going to be, you know, taking the club forward. And I think that, you know, I speak on behalf of the players when you know we think it's exciting times ahead.
4: You've got some big fixtures coming up, obviously. I mean, it's West Ham at home this weekend. They beat you on the opening day of the season. How do you sort of approach that? And then, of course, some tricky other fixtures to Manchester clubs later in the month.
2: I think every game from now to end will be a massive one. But um, of course, the teams in and around you are teams you have to pick points up against, you know, especially at home. So we'll be looking to obviously get three points, and you know, we're confident we can do so. You know, they're not having the greatest times either, so it'll be um, it'll be a fight, no doubt about it. But you know, hopefully, we'll. The manager's influence and the crowd behind us will secure
0: three points. Stephen, it it seems inevitable, because it's that time of year, that players will be brought into Cardiff during uh, January. Already a couple of names have been strongly linked that your, your new manager knows pretty well. Does it feel like it needs that lift? Will that lift the players for the second half of the season? Yeah, I mean, it's always healthy to have competition for places. So, you know, we've got a
2: great squad here and a great bunch of boys, that you know, want to work hard. So anyone coming into the squad with the quality that we've been linked with, I think, will no doubt help add to that hunger, aggression and, of course, talent. So, yeah, that'd be all positive and everything that's been linked to the club over the last seven days, I'd say, has been extremely positive. So that's good from a player's point of view, of course, and hopefully from a fan's point of view, we can you know secure Premier
0: League status. That was going to be my final question about your fans. They've been terrific, haven't they? I mean, they're so loyal, aren't they, and fantastic.
2: Yeah, they've been great. They've stuck by us throughout, and you have to come to our home ground and hear the atmosphere there when you know when it's rocking. And home and away, I think they've been great, and it's really given the boys an extra lift. And you know, I hope if they can continue that to the end of the season, then we can return the favour with uh, you know, Premier League status.
0: Well, Stephen, we wish you luck. Lots of it for Saturday and for the rest of the season as well. Thank you very much. Take care. Yeah, Stephen Cocker clearly sort of energised there, Andy, by the appointment of Solskjaer, much though he had great respect for Malky McKay. How how much of a gamble is it employing a manager from from Mulder? I think it's a
5: really big gamble. Clearly, we knew um, once Malky had gone, it was fairly widespread that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the man that Cardiff wanted. And a lot of the discussion was, would Ole Gunnar Solskjaer take the job? Would he take the gamble? Would he take the risk? That's what a lot of people seem to say. And I think that overlooks the fact that it is a very big gamble on Cardiff's part. I mean, essentially, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has come directly from the Norwegian league without any um, experience of managing an English club. You know, he's basically Manchester United's reserve team manager, which is, in essence is probably as much what they're appointing him on as his achievements with Molde. He won two championships there, but then last season's most recent, they finished sixth. This is a gamble on Cardiff's part, as much as on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's part. And make no mistake about that.
0: Interesting, isn't it? Though statistically unproven, uh, the Mm. the point you make about the Norwegian (laughs) league is is more than valid. Did win the cup last season, a lot, much was made of that. But the perception you get is that he it might just work. I mean, as I say, statistically, no reason to back that up. But he just has a calmness and a a quality about him. He
5: does. He he, he does. You know, I mean, I don't feel we've we've yet to see him. You know, this weekend will be his his first game managing in the Barclays Premier. So we will see. And he comes across very well. And Everyone, certainly all the media, when we've dealt with him, he's been fantastic. And if being a a good guy, a bright guy, with loads of potential and a good reputation, if all those count for
0: something, then he's got every chance of being a success. But it is a gamble. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking to the Swedish defender. He'll be battling to keep West Brom in the top flight. But first, it's time for our Barclays Merit Awards. Well, Barclays has teamed up with former player Fabrice Muamba to launch the Barclays Merit Awards. So far this season, Barclays has been rewarding the fans and community heroes that make the Barclays Premier League what it is. And now the focus is on the players, the managers and the unsung club heroes of the 20 top flight clubs. Now, just to explain, the Barclays Merit Awards are broken down into the following three categories. Performance milestone, that's a player or manager who's given his club great service over the course of his career. Unsung club hero, a member of staff who's respected for their hard work and dedication to a club and spirit of the game an outstanding act of sportsmanship by a player or a manager I thought it'd be fun to get the ideas of you guys so first of all uh, Andy you uh, performance milestone Uh, who would you uh, award Um, that to? do you think Tony
5: Hibbett I mean Barclays have the hashtag now
0: you are football referring to the supporters,
5: and he knows that. He's been at Everton, he was there for David Moyes' first game, there for his last game, played last game, and when he has been injured or suspended, he goes with the fans, on the supporters' coaches, in the stands, watching it with the fans.
4: Yeah, you can't get much better than <laughs> no. that. What about you, John? No. <laughs> you know, I'd make a special mention for Sylvain Distan at Everton. I think, you know, 385 Barclays Premier League appearances. And, you know, from starting at Newcastle, going to City, Portsmouth, now Everton, you know, he's a player that I admire, centre-half, you know, the position I played... Uh, I think he's been a a real quality player throughout that entire time. So, yeah, I think he he merits special mention. Well, goodness me, the old producer of this podcast uh, is an Evertonian, and the Evertonian (laughs) bias may continue. But (laughs) I'll stay with
0: you, John, for the unsung club hero, a member of staff who's respected for their hard work and dedication.
4: So many unsung heroes in the game. I always remember Roy Rayland. Man at Spurs. I think he was the longest serving employee of the club, 29 years or something. It's the essence of the atmosphere within the dressing room, a, a man like that. So uh, for me, it would be somebody like Roy Rayland. And Andy? Uh, Newcastle, um, Kath Cassidy, who's the, who's the tea lady there, tea lady in the press room, and
5: also you know gives the managers their post match cup of tea, and she's given it to 27 Newcastle managers <laughs> so far in their uh, 44 years. Um, and has never seen a game, and she's uh, she's a legend there. And anyone who's listening from that area will know all about Kath
0: Cassidy. That's astonishing never seen a game 44 years <laughs> spirit of the game just I she's fine. lucky yeah but there will be some periods <laughs> when she was i reckon yeah. um outstanding of sports Andy by player or manager the spirit of the game one the collective liverpool supporters i was at the
5: game earlier this season liverpool versus cardiff and i think everyone knew that Marky mckay was basically going to be leaving his job and the liverpool fans gave him incredible support not just the traveling cardiff fans but the liverpool fans
4: yeah it did make a big impact yeah. on him didn't it and john the cardiff fans themselves you yeah. know deserve great credit the applause for Aaron ramsey Stephen Gerrard as well, you know, with the the gift of uh, his testimonial match uh, half a million to the Alderhey Hospital I played for Liverpool and, and had a lot of close dealings and seeing the kids in, in Alderhey that's a fantastic sort of gesture from, from his perspective as well.
0: Yeah, remember you can cast your vote, by the way, on any of the three categories by heading to the Barclays Football Facebook page or by getting in touch with at Barclays Footy on Twitter using the hashtag YouAreFootball. <laughs> Well, I'm here with former Liverpool and Spurs defender John Scales and the Sunday Mirror sports columnist Andy Dunn. We were discussing Cardiff City earlier, and whilst they brought in a new manager over the festive period, West Brom are still to appoint a permanent successor to Steve Clark. In the meantime, caretaker boss Keith Downing has gone four league games without defeat, with West Brom moving up to 14th in the table. And to discuss their recent form, I'm pleased to say the baggy Swedish centre-half Jonas Olsen joins us on the show. Hi, Jonas. Hello. Now, first of all, four games in 11 days in the league over the festive period. You played every
3: minute of those. So how are the legs? Quite fresh, to be fair. Obviously, the last four games, we put down pretty good results. So I think, uh, you know, when you're doing well, you tend to feel more fresh as well. Maybe it's a a mental thing.
0: Yeah, you must have been pretty happy with that. As you said, a win and and three good draws, actually, from those uh, four games. A successful period in what must have been a difficult time.
3: Yeah, it was a difficult time, you know, a lot of things happening in and around the club. But, um, you know, we, we managed to uh, focus on, on what we can do and, and put down good performances on the field. I think Keith and Dino have done done brilliantly to guide us over this Christmas period. And um, no room for errors, I think, in, in this period. You know, if you come in with not so good shape, you know, you only have one or two days to, to recover and to regroup for the next game. But we did well. We had... Two really tough away games at Ofton Park and South Lane and managed to get two points from them and then uh, obviously the win against Newcastle on, on New Year's Day. So we're getting there. You know? We're at a better place now than we, we were a month ago. So we're happy with that and hopefully we can carry on from here. You mentioned Keith
0: and Dino there. Keith Downing and Dean Kiley have been in in temporary charge. They have done particularly well. Have they just sort of carried on the work that Steve Clark was doing there? Have they changed anything or are they just kind of, you know, literally caretaking, just just taking care of you?
3: Yeah, no, I think, first of all, I think, uh, you know, I really enjoyed working with Steve. Uh, almost two good years with him so I was sad to see him go on a personal level especially because I think he's a very good man but that's how football is the board makes a decision and then as a player you just uh, try to perform and, and try not to focus on, on things you you can't really affect anyway I think Keith and Dino uh, approach it in, in a similar way and, and you know they they've been in and around the club for for years, so everyone knows them, They know the group, and and it just got on with it, and and I think they they uh, carried on the, the the same way that Steve did. Uh, maybe add a few things of of, of their own, and and, and um, so far it's, it's been successful. So head off to them. And Jonas, I
4: mean, that was a huge win against Newcastle. How does that sort of set you up over a busy period? And you you, you know all the sort of turmoil off the pitch. How does that set you up yeah, for January? I'll- you know, moving forward with some big games coming up.
3: Yeah, well, it was crucial to get a win. I think we showed earlier in the season that the quality is here. I think it's more of a confidence problem, which is obviously a product of, of not doing very well the last few months. So it was important for the mind to get that, that win. And we show now over the Christmas period as well that we have a great depth in the squad, which we maybe haven't had in the recent years. So, you know, we did some a lot of rotations in the squad and, you know, we came out strong. So... um yeah, the Newcastle win was, was massive, and hopefully we can get another win soon and, and start looking up instead of managing the teams below us. And just just a, a
0: word about Saido Berahina, the, the 21-year-old who's grabbed so many headlines, Jonas, this season. Um, obviously scored the winning penalty against Newcastle, helped grab a draw at West Ham. I mean, from your perspective as a more experienced player who's seen a lot, how, how good is he?
3: Any player that age who, who comes in and, and scores important goals, he scored at, at Old Trafford for us and, like you said, showed you know really mental strength putting that penalty away against Newcastle in such an important game. Um, you know, I think he's a really good player and I think he has a very bright future if he, if he carries on the, the way he's been doing. It. It's only his, his third season he scored crucial goals for us, so hopefully he can carry on and I think he has all the qualities to have a very bright future.
0: And just finally, Jonas, we've been discussing, uh, as we have done uh, all season on this show as well, uh, unsung heroes at, at football clubs. Um, I wonder, is there anyone at the Hawthorns maybe working behind the scenes who, who you could mention in that regard?
3: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, our kit man, who, who is not at the club anymore, he had his last game with us on Saturday, uh, Pat Frost, uh, got a big Albion heart and, and is very uh, liked and loved by the players. It's sad to see him go, but it's uh, onto a new adventure, but he uh, he deserves all the price you can get.
0: Jonas, I hope you don't have to carry your own kit for too long and you you get (laughs) someone else, but uh, thanks very much indeed for your time today. Thank you. Yeah, there must be something about Kitman, uh, Jonas Olsen uh, nominating uh, the retiring Kitman at uh, West Brom <laughs> as well. You. How long is this uh time without a manager going to go on? I mean, I don't think Dean Kylie uh, or Keith Downing want the job, do they? So West Brom, are, they're going to have to do something soon, aren't they? I don't think they w- they want the job. I also
5: don't think the the hierarchy there would give them the job. The problem they've got at the moment is that it will go on for some time as long as West Brom Remain entrenched in their position, that the incoming manager will have to work with the current coaching setup. That is clearly the issue there. Um, now, I'm not saying that that's, that's a bad thing. That the board want a new man to work with the current coaching setup, but it will be a sticking point because, as we all know, managers come into clubs and generally. You know, generally, I would say probably 90% of the time even more like to bring in their own staff that they work with, that they trust, that they're on the same wavelength as. And City in Pepe Mel's case, the, the, the former Real Betis coach, who looked to be quite close, that seemed to be the sticking point. So they want to stick with this. So they want to get a man who will come in and share that idea that he's going to work with the current setup, the current director of football, etc. So that could take some time. They'll get someone though, won't they, John?
4: Oh, I mean, there'll be plenty of people wanting the job. you will be a queue as long as you can imagine you know, applying for the job, but uh, Andy's right, you know, it's got to be the right person. My concern is, look, off the back of some very good results, good performances, that's only going to last for so long, in my view. They are in a precarious position. They're, what, four points off relegation. They're drawing too many games. I think they've drawn nine of the 20 games. Their recent results are good, but having a caretaker manager does leave doubt in players' minds and you know that can only last for so long so I would urge the board at West Brom to make an appointment sooner rather than later. Well another club with a recent change at the top who have actually appointed a new manager is John's
0: old club Spurs and new manager Tim Sherwood who replaced Andre Vilas boas last month has been explaining just how he's helped change the club's fortunes in the last few weeks.
1: No slant on what was here previously because I, I maintain that Andre done a good job at this club because the points suggest it did and the, and the league position suggests that. Um, Different ways to win a football match I always like to let the players who can affect the opposition play in the opposition half and as I say we could do that better but it is um, really just let let them have their head and and go and enjoy themselves because you know we've all played in the street and sometimes you need to take it back to that I think it's sometimes football is too regimented
0: just one thing that Tim Sherwood alluded to in that interview, Vila Burris left the club with the highest percentage of league wins of any manager in the Tottenham's Barclays Premier League era, so he didn't do maybe as badly as, as some people suggested. You played, of course, with Tim Sherwood, John, so are you surprised that to
4: see him as this statesman-like figure now at Spurs? <laughs> it's a, it is a bit strange. Look, he's, he's one of those players that you've always known when you've played with him, when you've heard other players talk about him, that he, he's certainly always been a leader on the pitch and off the pitch in the dressing room. He's very always been outspoken, says it as it is, can rub people up the wrong way. But he's a, a, a player's player. People respond to him. Now, when you become a manager, you're faced with a lot of different questions and a lot of different conundrums to to fit into that team. He's brought Adebayor back in from the cold and and done a fantastic job with bringing him back into uh, the team. He's playing a different system. He's playing that sort of four four two. Whether he sticks with that or not, it remains to be seen because maybe in, against Arsenal, you know, they were slightly overrun in midfield and you know he'll adapt to that and have to adapt to that. But you know what he says there, he's a, he's a positive coach. He's got a wealth of experience from way back in his Blackburn days. Remember that you know Blackburn coming to and winning the title there and and him lifting the trophy. He's a good guy, but while things are going well, uh, the test will come when there's a dip and the pressure's on and how the players respond to his manner in and around the uh, dressing room. And he showed he
0: showed impressive strength of character to get the job, didn't he? Really, I mean, he was very strong in yeah. various news conferences, saying, "I'm not some interim. If, if they want me, they're going to have to have me long term," and so on. I mean, he made a pitch for it, frankly, and, he, and got it, didn't he? He did. I mean, I mean, just but
5: well, he got an eighteen month contract, so it's not incredibly long term. It is. I just find it remarkable um, sometimes how inexact the sciences of of selecting your manager. You know, yeah. on one morning a couple of weeks back, we were going to have Louis van Gaal as the Spurs manager, and we. And with respect we end up with Tim sherwood, you know, van Hal sherwood you know, it's quite how they go between the two and how they come up with these shortlists but listen, he's obviously impressed them and again you know you think of Andre Villas-Boas and you think of a, a very technical coach you think of him sort of you know being incredibly analytical and then Tim there just in that clip just basically saying you know he wants a player to go out and express themselves and it's very much a almost a throwback situation the recent sort of template has been to go to you know if you think of Villas-Boas you think of Pochettino the template has been maybe to go for coaches who are say more technical so it is yeah it, 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 it's very it's very much a refreshing the one hand, but also, again, another gamble. You know, yep. the, the Barclays Premier League is full of managerial gambles, let me tell you.
0: We keep using that word, don't we? Yeah, yeah and, and we'll do again, I'm yeah. sure, this season. Let's see a West Brom point. But do you think your mate Sherwood's going to get money to spend in January, John? Will they give, give him that much faith? I mean, they spent an awful, They spent the bail money last summer, obviously,
4: so they've got a, a sizable squad. They've got a sizable squad. They've got a problem up front, absolutely. They're okay in most most other areas. I think that they, they obviously need a left-back, whether uh, Aso Cotto comes back from QPR or, or what remains to be seen. Uh, Danny Rose didn't you know, cover himself with glory. Um, So they've they've got an issue there. Striking-wise is is the big concern. Again, it's it's January. Who can you go out and get who can add real quality? And you don't want to go and be desperate and spend a lot of money in the market. You know, a lot of the signings that uh, Franco Baldini and Daniel Levy made last summer... You know they've still to prove themselves. To go into the market again and add to that in a a difficult period, I doubt whether they'll go in and and strengthen too much. Well, Spurs
0: are the only club in the top half of the table to change their manager this season, but it's been predictably I guess all change in the bottom half. Clubs fighting harder than ever to maintain their Barclays Premier League status. Five of the bottom seven clubs have parted company with their managers since the uh, start of the season. Andy, a lot's been said about just how tight the top of the table is this season, but the bottom is extraordinary, isn't it? Nine points between 10th and 20th. Yeah. I mean, you can pick any one of those to go down.
5: Well, you, you can, and what's made it even tighter um, has been the effect of a couple of clubs changing the managers. I'm thinking Sunderland and Crystal Palace, who, early in the season, you may have not quite have written off, but certainly you had them earmarked for two to three positions more than likely. That's no longer the case, and that's why it's interesting, the whole idea, should you change your manager, and if so, at what stage in the season? All those clubs that have changed the manager, OK, let's discount Cardiff because they haven't had a game yet under their new manager in the Barclays Premier League, but all those clubs have had had a little bit of a bounce from having new managers. Statistically, if you look at it, they've averaged more points per game under their new managers than they did under their old managers. Now, when you think that, you know, De Canio probably had one from seven games, that's not hard. But other chairmen then look at that and think, well, is that the way forward? And that is why, you know, they are often thinking, well, should I, shouldn't I, should we go too early? And that's why it's so fascinating. And now, with Crystal
0: Palace and Sunderland getting themselves not quite into the pack, but certainly on the coattails of that pack, it could be anyone, really. And talking of people in charge, having a look at these things and stats, the West Ham co-owners, David Gold and David Sullivan, they've actually issued an open letter to fans in support of boss Sam Allardyce. The Hammers sit second from bottom of the Barclays Premier League after just one win in 13 top-flight games.
5: The position is that we're talking about bringing new players into the football club and trying to overcome the injury problems that we got. So, in terms of support from uh, David Gold, David Sullivan, Karen Brady, it's, it's, at the moment, when they're talking to me, it's about positive action to try and help get ourselves out of the situation we're in, which I'm very grateful for.
0: Has he been unlucky with injuries, John? I mean, Carroll notably, Noble, Tomkins, Collins, Reid, Vazte, he could have been
4: luckier, couldn't he? It definitely could have been luckier. Um, you know, any manager will say that he he needs a fit uh, squad of players to choose from. There are always injuries to players, but I think you know, for me, Andy Carroll. You know, enough has been said and written about you know whether they should have signed him in the first place. But uh, certainly a huge loss to West Ham for so long. But it's at the back defensively as well. You know, when you look at uh, the players missing, you just mentioned them. You know, it's it's very difficult to look forward to go into games with with confidence you know he started kids in the FA Cup the other day and that takes away another little layer of confidence within the club itself and you know the pressure really really is on them and it's on Sam as well you know he'll be desperate to go into the transfer market and again you know can he strengthen the team I'm sure he can bring in and freshen things up but he, he's got to because those those injuries are catastrophic for a club like West Ham with the squad depth they've got
0: well before we look at this weekend's top flight fixtures including West Ham's trip to Cardiff which I'm sure we're going to mention uh, we must just mention our barclays ticket on you can win tickets to a match involving your club simply by telling us why you are football. And here are a couple of winners we've had so far. Manchester United fan Danny Poole says, Coaching grassroots football is the only thing I've ever known. Just seeing the children smile is what rewards me most. Spurs supporter Fiona Milway making kick-off at White Hart Lane on a Sunday by running straight from my own match and sitting in my muddy kit for the game, which I like a lot. And Sean Simmons, this is is my personal winner. Years and years of playground suffering when all the other lads were Cantona, Fowler, Shearer and Wright. I was Tony Cotty hashtag you are football uh, we've all got a cross to bear I suppose um, who are you in that it's a difficult question to ask an ex-pro who were who you in the playground John were you were just
4: John uh, Scales I suppose no. were you <laughs> uh, no I was Franco Beresi. I uh, <laughs> brilliant I was Franco Baresi. I never uh, quite matched yeah. his uh, skill on the pitch <laughs> he was a, a, a proper player and uh, yeah he used to be that you can't mm-hmm. imagine many of your, your, your mates in the playground want to be defenders <laughs> although if, if, if
0: they did probably Baresi would be the one but Bob Latchford for me Bob Latchford Everton legend of course I, I'm sort of with you actually the Continental, predictably so, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I was slightly obsessed by Hans-Peter Briegel with the socks roll down in that <laughs> 1980 <laughs> European championship. And uh, Most people would have liked Bernd Schuster, the creative one. <laughs> I like the other one, but there you go. Um, you can tweet why you are football to at Barclays or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page for your chance to win tickets to a Barclays Premier League match. And right on cue, we can take a look at this weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures, starting with uh, Hull against Chelsea Saturday 12.45, finishing with Villa against Arsenal Monday to eight o'clock of course. John, what stands out for you from those? You've already mentioned Cardiff West Ham being gigantic.
4: Yeah, we have. I mean, you know, I think it's the tea time kickoff for me, five thirty, is Manchester United against Swansea. Swansea having not gone to Manchester United and beaten them you know, can Lightning strike twice, they'll go there uh, clearly, you know, full of confidence and, and all the questions being asked of David Moyes and this Manchester United squad and Andy alluded to it earlier, you know that players there, quality players at United just aren't performing, it's an alarming you know, the loss of form, so I think that one for me uh, stands out, you know Newcastle, Manchester City on Sunday I'm looking forward to, but uh, yeah, if I had to pick one it would be that Old Trafford huge Yeah,
0: Swansea, Swansea won for the first time in their history, as you mentioned at Old Trafford in last weekend's FA Cup game, but can Michael Ladrup's side do the same in the league on Saturday evening.
4: It is a little rare that you see some teams that had not won for five, ten fifteen, or twenty five years coming here and win. That doesn't mean that now it's something that can happen every day to come here and win it will always be something special and because you're doing it once, it may happen that next times once you will win at Old Trafford it will be in fifteen years, old Trafford will always be. Uh, something special for every player to come here and, and try to get something out of it.
0: Andy, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but need I ask where, which story you're following this weekend? I, I, I am
5: going there, and um, I actually slightly disagree with Michael there. I, no, I don't disagree in the sense that Old Trafford will always be a special place to go to, but there is no doubt whatsoever that players and teams are going there now, and the aura of invincibility is gone. You know, I spoke to, to Gareth Bale um, in the summer before he'd actually left Spurs, and, he, and it was not long after Sir Alex Ferguson had um, had retired, and he said, you know what, that's great, we'll go there now with a an extra sense that we can get something from there. And I said to him, I said, really? I said, it will make that difference. A manager who, who you know, in the end is sat in the dugout, I said, he, he said, yeah. He said, we'll go there and Ferguson will not be on the touchline and we will go there and players will believe they can win just because the managers left and I I walked away from that conversation thinking that that can't be right players can't think like that that can't be that psychological edge figs and can't have been worth that money points in but clearly players are doing that now they are going to Old Trafford you know and believing they could win you know Newcastle believe they could win Everton you've got a team there Everton who hadn't won there for 20 odd years Newcastle 40 years and they will take the, their cue from those teams and the and their aura of invincibility has gone at old Trafford
0: yeah to think that the aura extended right across the pitch so we we never yeah. perhaps picked up on that um four defeats at old Trafford for David David Moyes by the way it could be five come Saturday evening but a quick reminder of the standings uh, Arsenal sit top after 20 games Manchester City who are most people's favourites a point behind followed by Chelsea and then Liverpool Hull and Villa have been able to pull away from the bottom of the table their 10th and 11th uh, respectively which shows how remarkably quickly things can change with a win and at the foot of the table we have Sunderland followed by West Ham and Palace with Cardiff Fulham and Norwich hovering just above the relegation spots no one's really talking about Norwich and uh, that could be an interesting story come the end of the season that's just about about it for this week's show. My thanks to John Scales and the Sunday Mirror's Andy Dunn. Before we go, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. Cardiff City's new manager Ole Gunnar Sokjar became well-known at Manchester United for scoring late goals coming off the bench, but can you name the fastest goal ever scored by a substitute in the Barclays Premier League era? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page. We'll reveal the answer on the site later in the week. Also remember to have a go at our Barclays ticket competition by telling us why you are football using the hashtag You are football. We'll be back on Tuesday the 14th of January when we'll be analysing all of the weekend's results including Swansea's second trip in a week to Old Trafford, Arsenal's journey to Villa and a crucial relegation battle between Cardiff and West Ham. But until then, from John Scales, from Andy Dunn and from me, Dave Farrar, bye-bye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League brought to you by Barclays.